Welcome to Radio 5G with Michael Henry Dunn, Nancy Hopkins, and Friends, a Cosmic Reality Radio production. When all the broken-hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. For though there may be pardon, there is still a chance that they will see. There will be an answer, let it be. Oh, let it be. And we are live. Hey, hello everybody. Welcome to Radio 5G. Michael Henry Dunn here with my incredibly esteemed colleague and co-host Nancy L. Hopkins. Hey there, Nancy. How are you doing today? Well, we're here and we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the sun is shining, the air is still breathable, our blood is still flowing, our our genetic code is as yet unmessed with. Well, that's... Uh, Depends on who's listening. <laughs> right. But we're yeah. all right. We're all right. Yeah, we're okay. The kids are all right. Um, and we have got uh, the one and only Catherine Austin Fitz, um, pre-recorded from uh, December, but a um, just a, a different take on – just to, to acquaint everybody who isn't familiar – with Catherine Austin Fitz. She's one of the most well-informed, grounded um, whistleblowers and uh, of, of the big picture of, of what's going on with, uh, what are we calling them now, the jabs? Are we calling them the jabs, Nancy? Yeah, we'll call them the jabs. The jabs, uh, yep. The, the jabs, the economics behind it, the economics behind the bug, and the jabs and the big picture. She's the former um, Assistant Secretary for Housing and Urban Development in the Bush administration. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this particular um, talk, Nancy, that we've got here? Um, yeah, let me, let me just preface this by one of the most um, profound things that I ever heard her say was when she was Assistant Director of the uh, HUD, she was in a meeting, and the Director of the HUD was spouting some new thing they were going to do and she said to him you do realize this is illegal don't you and he said i don't care right you know that that attitude right yeah <laughs> and um this the, okay this is back in december and so the the yes the vaccines were on in play but she wasn't focusing so much on that in this, she's um, and and what I do love about her is that she is those three D grounded. She does look at different, let's say, factors in the economy and you know what's happening out there, and gives us a more global picture of what's behind it. And it's a we've done her before, had her on before. Well, we don't have her on. We do play the the uh, the video or the audios, but. I, I think that it's very important for us to understand that, you know, we've got to take a global look at this. That's why, you know, 5G is morphed into something that is way beyond the same factors that went into trying to get the 5G out there that we we started this show to fight are still in play. But they're using a lot more, let's say, tools uh, to to do the same thing, which is ultimately control us all. So, um, right. 
yeah, <clears throat> we'll try to we'll try to talk you down from the ledge when we after we hear from her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're the happy people. We are. We're the optimistic, happy people who bring you the bleak truth. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, she because one of the things that he says to her, and he's he's. Um, uh, he says, you know, well, what, what, what do we what do we do? And she says, and this is the, the key, the first thing we have to do is make people understand this. You know, what's really happening, not what we think is happening, but what's really happening. So, um, yeah, I, I think you will find it informative. All right, so we're going to hear from uh, an interview with Catherine Austin Fitz former Assistant Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under the Bush administration. And after we've listened, we'll be back to explore more with you. Here we roll. This audio is entitled Catherine Austin Fitz, Planet Lockdown. It's this Rumble Studio 1776. And six is spelled S-I-X-X-X. 1776. The date on the audio is December 28th, 2020. My name is Catherine Austin Fitz. I'm the publisher of the Solari Report and managing director of Solari Investment Advisory Services. And um, what do you think is happening economically as a result of all this? So uh, what is happening, I just published a huge study called The State of Our Serve, uh, Currencies. And what I describe is the fact that for many decades, the dollar has been the reserve currency. And uh, the system is what I would describe as long in the tooth. And the central bankers are trying to bring in a new system, but it's not ready to go yet. And what we're, what we're in a period of great change and uncertainty where the central bankers are trying to keep the dollar system going and accelerate. So they're trying to lengthen the dollar system and then they're trying to accelerate bringing in the new system. And they have to bring in the new system without anybody quite realizing exactly what it is. So we've had a global reserve currency system, the dollar, and it needs to evolve and change. And it's long in the tooth. There's lots of unhappiness with the system. And the central bankers are trying to bring a new system. And to do it, they're trying to extend the old and accelerate the new. And it makes it a very chaotic thing since much of the new is being tested and tried and prototyped. And it involves many different industries. So uh, I describe the new system as the end of currencies. So it's we're not bringing in a new currency. We're essentially bringing in a new transaction system it will be all digital and essentially in currencies as we know them. So what they're trying to do is involves essentially all the money on the planet. So it's big, it's complicated, it's messy. Um, and the challenge they have is how do you market a system that if people understood it, nobody would want. And of course, <laughs> the way you do that is with a healthcare crisis. And why is the healthcare crisis good for that? Because generally, if, if a few people want to control the many, the question is, how can you, you know, how can you herd all the sheep into the slaughterhouse without them realizing and resisting? So uh, the perfect thing is invisible enemies. So we had the war on terrorism. 
you know, with invisible terrorists, and then then now a virus is perfect because it's invisible. You can't prove that it doesn't exist because it's visible, invisible. So invisible enemies are always the preferred one, particularly if they scare people. If you can use fear and introduce significant fear, then people will need government to protect them from the invisible enemy. Then the second tactic, which is very effective, is divide and conquer. And so in the meantime, if you can use the media, the media plays a very important role. If you can turn men and women against each other and black and white against each other, one of the reasons you import a lot of immigrants into uh, into Europe is turn the general population against the immigrants, and then you need government to be in the middle. And you know, so so these are all whether it's divide and tactic or invisible enemies. These are all ways to institute fear and get people to go along with things. And of course, the invisible virus allows you to do enormous control mechanisms. You can stop people from gathering. You can stop people from organizing. You can stop people from getting together and talking about what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And if you digitize it with contract tracing, then you can control who's talking to whom. If you can get them to do all their work and education online, you can literally listen to everything they're saying. So you can, you can institute extraordinary amounts of surveillance all in the you know, the theory that we're protecting you from the invisible virus. It's very clever, you know, and as you can see, it's working in with many people, not everybody, but many people. So to me, a lot, and, and I don't, I don't want to us, uh, underestimate the ability of the leadership to introduce pathogens that will kill people, and I don't want to suggest that people aren't getting sick, but um, essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people to buy into a solution before they see where it's ultimately going to go. Because you're talking about a transaction system that is no longer a currency, it's a control system. So it's like a credit at the company store. If every central bank comes out with a digital central bank currency, they have the ability to turn your money on and off. So if you don't behave, that's it. And of course, as we know, they want to combine this with transhumanism, which means literally... You know, I take injections that can institute an, the equivalent of an operating system in my body. And so I'm hooked up to the financial system literally physically. To step back to the beginning a little bit, a little one Sure. Is, um, what is the actual effect of the lockdown measures? So what you're doing is you're trying to, I used to call the Patriot Act the Concentration and Control of Cash Flow Act. And this is a very similar process. You're trying to dramatically centralize economic and political control. So let me give you an example. We have 100 small businesses on Main Street in a community. You declare them non-essential, shut them down. Suddenly Amazon and Walmart and the big box stores can come in and take away all the market share. In the meantime, the people on Main Street have to keep paying off their credit cards or their mortgage. So they're in a debt entrapment. Um, and they're desperate to get cash flow to cover basically their debts and their day-to-day -day expenses. In the meantime, you have the Federal Reserve institute a form of quantitative easing where they're buying corporate bonds and the, and the guys who are taking up the market share can basically finance at you know, 0 to 1% or the, their banks can at 0 to 1% when everybody in Main Street is paying 16 to 70% of their credit cards without income. So basically, now you've got them over a barrel and you can take away their market share. And generally, they can't afford to do what they say because they're too busy trying to find money to feed their kids. In the 2016 election cycle, uh, 
we saw the general population support candidates who represented populism in a variety of different ways. So Bernie Sanders was a populist relative to the other candidates. Donald Trump was a populist relative to the other candidates. And literally what the sort of global capital class realized was they had a problem that, that, you know, that could be solved by destroying the independent income of small business and, and sole practitioners and people who had independent forms of income. So if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a CPA and you have your own practice, you are generally going to you are going to support the populist candidates. And so the way to shut the populist candidates down is to shut off their income and support, which is you put Main Street out of business and then there's nobody to finance a Bernie Sanders or a Donald Trump. There's nobody to support him. Uh-huh. So, I mean, do, do, those, do the lockdown measures appear to you to be it's more of an economic thing than a virus mitigation plan? So this is an economic war. And um, you've basically had sort of the top 1%. So since April, we've seen um, global billionaires increase their net worth by 27%. Now, what what that says is this has been a very successful (laughs) global economic war because what you're having is the sort of global capitalist class. And I I shouldn't call it capitalism because it's not. It's much more economic totalitarianism. What you've seen is they've been able to consolidate fantastic amounts of economic wealth, not just by deleting the income of the middle class and consolidating it into their companies, but by significantly improving the wealth and power of the largest G7 developed countries and China vis-a-vis the emerging markets. So, um, you know, the, the... the countries with the most advanced technology and the access to AI and software and to the sort of digital systems, including through space, are dramatically consolidating economic power vis-a-vis the weaker nations. So we're seeing a consolidation of economic power centralization, both into the, the wealthier and the more powerful nations um, and, and the, the basically top 1% who control them. So I would describe the, you know, the what COVID nineteen is, is a the institution of controls necessary to convert the planet from democratic process to technocracy. So what we're watching is a change in control, and an engineering of new control systems. So think of this as a coup d'état. It's much more like a coup d'état um, than a virus. <laughs> So uh, for 20-some years in the United States, we've had a financial coup d'etat. And we knew at the end of 1995, a decision was made to move much of the assets and money out of the country. That was part of of sort of bubbling the global economy of globalization. And they knew that once they'd finished moving all those assets, that they would have to consolidate and change the, the fundamental system. So after the financial coup, you, you've stolen all the money in the pension funds, you've stolen all the money in the government, and now rather than turn and tell people, well, we stole your money, you need an excuse that will allow you to consolidate and change the fundamental system. And so you have a magic virus. <laughs> and the magic virus is, oh, you know, we have to fundamentally change the system. And, 
you know, thanks to the magic virus, there's no money in Social Security. Thanks to the magic virus, there's no money in the Treasury. You know, and you have your perfect magic excuse. Everything can be blamed on the virus. Yeah, yeah. The magic virus can, you know, it's amazing because because every implication of the financial coup has been magically solved by the magic virus. Yeah, it's right. quite, if you're a financial person and you look at the world through the mathematics of time and money, it's quite amazing that anybody believes it, but they do. Yeah, yeah right. Right. It's part, it's part of joining the, you know, what C.J. Hopkins calls the Covidian cult. You join the cult and you say, oh, yeah, 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 well, the magic virus took all the money from Social Security. Yeah. Magic virus caused our pension funds to, you know, not be sufficient. Blah, 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 blah. So... Um, what do you think the technocracy that we're being pushed towards is, look like? So technocracy, the technocracy that they're pushing towards is what is called transhumanism. So essentially what you do is you use injections to inject materials into the body that create the equivalent of an operating system. So everybody knows the idea of Microsoft causing you to download an operating system in your computer that gives... Microsoft and a variety of other players a backdoor into your computer and and every month or two or three you've got to update it because they're viruses right it's back to the magic virus that can solve all problems and so so this is a similar system for your body you inject materials into your body that essentially create the equivalent of an operating system and a receiver and you can literally hook everybody up to the cloud and that includes hooking them up in a way that their transaction system, you know, the Bible calls it the mark of the beast is one way people know this up. But you're you're basically talking about being able to digitally identify and track people in connection with their financial transactions. So it's a world of zero, um, zero privacy. But more importantly, what's important to understand is you're, if, you, if you then institute one or more central bank cryptos, you're now talking about a system where every central bank in the world can shut you off individually from transacting if they don't like the way you're behaving. So many people are familiar with the social credit system in China. It's very similar. You're, you're basically, if you, if you install the smart grid in their car, their community, and now in their, literally in their body, you've got 24-7 surveillance, and if people don't do what you say and behave the way you want uh, you know they can and, and and will shut off your money. So and and they'll also have spatial control. If they say you can't travel more than five miles, that's it. You you know because you're in a you're in a complete digital control system, and it's controlled by the central bankers through the money. We're digitizing everything, but it includes the human body as well and the human mind. So this system comes with complete control not only of your ability to transact financially, which is hooked up to your body, but uh, very sophisticated mind control technology through the media and those cloud connections. So so basically you're talking about hooking up into the Borg, if you will. And, um, and so transhumanism and technocracy go hand in hand. Now, I would describe this as a slavery system. So we're talking about shifting out of freedom where we have freedom to roam and freedom to say what we want into a complete control system 24-7, including mind control. Now, the challenge before us is if the, you know, sort of the committee that runs the world, my nickname being Mr. Global, if Mr. Global wants to go to a slavery system 
and we want to remain a human civilization, then we have a fundamental disagreement, and that is the disagreement before us. And um, we get to the uh, uh-huh. the diagrams here. <laughs> okay. So if you look at what's going on, we have the tech people building the the clouds and the telecommunications. We have the military doing space and operation warp speed. So they're putting up the satellites, okay? Then we have Big Pharma, which is making the injections that are full of these mystery ingredients and change, modify your DNA, and for all we know, make you infertile. Um, And then we have the media pouring out the propaganda. And then we have the central bankers engineering the to to the crypto, the central bank crypto systems. So you have these different pillars, and it's very important when you look at what's going on day to day, particularly in the media, they're trying to keep them separate so that you can't see how they're going to come together in an integrated system, which is basically integrated into your body and your mind. For what purpose? To, to institute the slavery system. So in other words, if I... I'm going to do everything through a smart grid, and I need to run the smart grid into your neighborhood, and then I need to run the smart grid into your body. The question is, how am I going to build it out in your neighborhood and build it out in your body without you seeing the trap? Right? So, so that's why you try and keep these different lines separate. So if you listen to the central bankers, they try as hard as they can to stay away from these conversations. So it was interesting, I was watching an IMF presentation on cross-border payments and the Federal Reserve Chairman, uh, the the head of the IMF mentioned the digital uh, global ID system and you would have the Federal Chairman, the Federal Reserve Chairman almost blanched and you could energetically feel him moving like a galaxy away, like no, 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 because, you know, they're, they're more, they're 325 million Americans and they're more than 325 million guns. And he doesn't want everybody to see this until the trap is thrown. It's too late. Have we been put in a trap this year? Yes. Right, (laughs) but the door hasn't shut. So that's why the reason we're talking is because transparency can blow the game. It's interesting because in... um, in the beginning of the year when I wrote the article Injection Fraud and said Bill Gates is trying to download an operating system in your body just the way he downloaded it in your mind and use viruses as an excuse to have to update it, you know, to, to make it work for his back door every day. Three months later, and then, and then Corbett did a great series on Gates, and several people came out and sort of reaffirmed this. And... Um, uh, it was in the fall. Yahoo Finance did a poll, uh, published a poll, saying that 44% of Republicans thought Bill Gates wanted to chip them. And I said, "Okay, we're making progress." <laughs> so uh, you know, and that's exactly when Gates sort of disappeared, and they brought out Operation Warp Speed because they needed. Um, and interestingly enough, the person they chose to lose, run Operation Warp Speed was an expert on. Uh, injectable brain-machine interface. He used to head research at GlaxoSmithKline, and and he's a brain-machine interface expert. It's a creepy resume for that job, huh? It's a perfect resume for that job. 
You know, here's one of the most important developments that happened in 2019, in addition to the um, to the approval of the going direct plan by the central bankers in Jackson Hole, was the issuance uh, by the Department of Defense of the Jedi Cloud contract to Microsoft. So you had Amazon receive, Amazon is essentially a CIA and intelligence agency contractor. They started generating profit when they entered into major contracts with the CIA to provide the clouds, not only for the CIA, but all 17 US intelligence agencies through that umbrella cloud contract. So you now have Amazon running the intelligence agency's contract. This year, Latos did a big contract, or at the end of 2019, Latos did a big contract with the, um, with the Navy, and then DOD did the Jedi contract. And so those three huge cloud contracts give you the ability, once you get everybody hooked up into them, to radically re-engineer how the, um, how the cash flows work. So you can literally shut down all small business uh, or almost all small business, put everybody in a universal basic income, which is basically a control system, and run it all through the through the military clouds. So you can you can see the the direction we're headed, but it's a little uncertain as to as to why or. No, it's it's simple. Um, technology gives you the ability to institute a complete control system and further centralize economic and political control. So I'll give you a perfect example. The reason the African-American slave trade ended, there were two reasons in my opinion. One is you couldn't perfect collateral. So the banks in London kept losing money because the plantation owners, when the commodities market went down, would sell their slaves west and the banks couldn't go get their collateral. So they would finance the purchase of a slave at say 50% loan to value ratio. And then when the commodities market's down, they'd sell the slave, say he ran away and the banks would be hung, right? And the banks couldn't prove that, you know, Harry was their slave because they couldn't, they had no way of perfecting collateral, okay? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was number one. The second was the Haitians rebelled and, and the Europeans sent several armies in to try and quell the rebellion and never could. The, the Haitians were too good, okay? Now, if you look at digital technology, you can perfect the collateral, okay? And with space weaponry and, and the kind of weaponry you have from space and surveillance, you can put down any rebellion, right? So the reasons that the slave trade, which was unbelievably profitable, the history of the world is slavery is the most profitable business. It's more profitable than mining, it's more profitable than um, than narcotics. I mean, it's it's more profitable than all the addictions. So, if you now have the technological capability of implementing slavery, their attitude, I think, is okay. Let's do it, right? Yeah. And part of it is technology. Technology also makes it much easier for a small group of people to get together and be very powerful. So for example, if they bring in breakthrough energy technology, the danger is a small group of crazy people can weaponize it. So technology is powerful. The more powerful technology you integrate, the more danger there is you lose control. Now, there are other theories as why people would want complete control. 
so for i'll give you another reason you know given the difficulty of feeding and managing a population that's getting ever larger if you now have biotechnology that allows mr global to live for one hundred fifty years you know you can't afford you can't keep that secret right if 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 the wealthy are living for 150 years and we're not, that you can't keep that a secret. So, so why not downsize the population, integrate robots, use robotics for everything, and you can have a, a very wealthy and luxurious life without all the management headaches, right? So, the kind of breaking of society into into different classes or into an uber class and a vast peasantry mixed with robotics? Yes. Yeah, in other words, what I think what's trying, what's trying to happen here is Mr. Global is using technology to move to a system where between robotics, AI, and software, a few people can control the many with far less headaches and fear. You have to remember, Mr. Global is very, very afraid of the general population. Their fear. Yeah, they're very afraid because if you've been keeping, you know, several times I'm told the leadership in the United States has gotten together to discuss how can we undo the secrecy. And each time they come to the conclusion it's impossible. You can't undo the secrecy because the liabilities are too enormous. So if you're the swamp and you're guilty of all the different things the swamp is guilty of and you try and open the window on the secrecy, you run tremendous risks, tremendous risks. So you're afraid of the general population. And the history of governance is, you know, the general population occasionally does turn and kill the leadership. So... There are 325 million people in America. There are more guns. So, you know, my guess is the reason Jay Powell was backpedaling when the head of the IMF was talking about digital identities is he's sitting there knowing he's got 325 million people and more, and a lot of them have guns and they don't have a lockdown yet. This is why the Second Amendment is such a fractious issue. Most people around the world don't understand why people in America are so rabid about owning guns. And, you know, the first reason they're rabid about owning guns is they don't understand the power of mind control. <laughs> so, you know, so if I can institute total mind control, which is what the system is, you know, guns aren't that dangerous to me. But, um, you know, the leadership is... To do what they want to do, it would be very, very convenient if they could bring in the guns. And you'll see if the Democrats win this election, that's the first thing they're going to try and do. Um, after making everybody wear face diapers, they're going, to, they're going to try and bring in the guns. And this is why the Republicans holding the Senate has been such a big issue. Yeah. Because they can't do it if the Republicans hold the Senate. The election is such a mess, huh? So here's the thing. When I try and tell everybody, you know, because I, I grew up in Philadelphia, and my first boyfriend's father was a ward leader who used to go out with a roll of cash and buy all the votes every election. So, you know, there's an old tradition in America of voting fraud. And what I tell everybody is neither one of these candidates would have been the candidate without the voting fraud to begin with. So, you know, we're in a funny position. But I've never seen the voting fraud as blatant 
And I think to a certain extent, you know, it's interesting, they could not have stopped a Trump landslide without COVID-19. So one question I have is how much of the, because t- I thought they would do this after the election, how much of the timing of the healthcare op is basically designed to make sure they don't get a populist president? Not that Trump isn't, you know, it's hard for me to think of Donald Trump as a populist because he's very much on board for the pro-centralization team, but he's, um, as Michael Moore has said, he's the American people's way of saying F you to the, to the leadership. So I think it was very important to them to get rid of Trump, which they're trying to do. The problem is they've used massive voter fraud to do it, and, but they've used the fraud in a way that it's obvious that the fraud is off the charts. And it's almost as though, you know, they, they're turning to the, the population, which they're trying to turn into a cult and saying, you have to pretend this guy is the president, even though you know he's not. <laughs> so, so, you know, we have a fake virus and a magic virus and a fake president and a magic political system. And, it's, you know, it really is getting very cult-like. It's the only thing I can say. Yeah, it's almost like a, uh, a switch was flicked this year and we're in bizarro world, right? <laughs> um, so we've been in bizarre world. From the minute they started to, to steal the money, we moved into a bizarre world. And I think, you know, the only difference is now, as they moved all the money and the official reality moved away from reality even further and further. You know, that's part and parcel of the secrecy. Many people thought they could stay on the middle of the road. And now what's clear is, you know, you have to go with the cult or you have to go with truth. The middle of the road is is going away. And so everybody has to choose which they want. Let's go to the rides. Okay, so so... When the riots began and the leadership took the position that you couldn't go to church because of the danger of the magic virus, but you could go to the riots and protest, <laughs> my team and I started to look at the riots. And so we first we made, if you, if you come into Solari, there's a database called COVID-19, and uh, I think it's COVID-19, Riots and Fed. So the first thing we did is we looked at the state and we looked at the cities and whether the governor was Democrat or Republican, and then what the COVID cases and deaths were. And then we said, okay, we're going to check a box called riots where riots have been. So we started to look at the patterns of the riots vis-a-vis the machine polit- political machine control and sort of the COVID magic virus op, and there was something wrong when I was looking at the data and I could feel, you know, I, I'm a very intuitive person. I was saying, there's something, there's something here. So I said to the wonderful teammate who was building this, I said, do me a favor. I want you to put a box called the Federal Reserve. And I want you to check the box. There are 12 banks, one headquarters, and then the branches for a total of 37 locations. I want you to check the box wherever... In, in any city where we have a branch or a bank or the headquarters, I want a check. And what we discovered is 34 of the 37 bank, bank locations have riots. And I said, well, wait a minute, that's a pattern. <laughs> There's something here. Let's drill down. So we started with Minneapolis, 
and uh, we said, let's take the data of all the buildings that were harmed or burnt or businesses, and we'll map it. You know, we'll do a GIS software, and we'll map where these businesses were and how close they were to the Federal Reserve Bank. And so the first one we did, there's a, there's a street going across Minneapolis called Lake. And we mapped them. And one of the things we did when we mapped them was we drew pictures of where the opportunity zones were. Do you know what an opportunity zone is? An opportunity zone is a tax shelter mechanism created in 2018 to help the tech billionaires as they sold their stock avoid capital gains. So you can, if you're Jeff Bezos, who sold $10 billion of stock this year, if you were to roll over your proceeds into opportunity zone investments and handle it in a certain way, you could avoid all capital gains tax. So this is fantastically profitable. Now, if you look at the riots, when I first saw how all the buildings and businesses destroyed along Lake Street were right at the bottom of the opportunity, I started to laugh and I said, you know, I was Assistant Secretary of Housing. That's not a riot pattern. That's a real estate acquisition plan. So what, what are you saying? It's to, it's to cheapen the prices in the city? To so so I have a thriving series of small businesses, a lot owned by African-American and Hispanics along a particular boulevard in the Opportunity Zone. If first I declare the businesses non-essential and shut them down, right? Magic virus. So first I declare them non-essential, so now they're in real trouble, right? Because they can't do their business. And then I have riots and burn and damage them, right? If I was really clever, I'd pull their insurance right before I did it. I don't know what the case was, but we'll see. So now their business is shut down. They're now hung on their debt, right? Whether their mortgage or their credit card. But even worse, now their building has been damaged. And of course, insurance doesn't cover all the repairs and fixing, right? So needless to say, it's going to be a lot easier and cheaper for me to go in and buy up all those buildings, right? Voila. It's called disaster capitalism. So we then mapped, we did Minneapolis, then we mapped uh, Kenosha, then Portland, and now we're doing a place in Ohio. And the, the patterns we're seeing, if you look at the clusters of where the damage is, just speaking as Assistant Secretary of Housing, those are, in my opinion, real estate acquisition plans completely, you know, especially when they come on top of declaring all those small businesses not essential and shutting them down or restricting them. You know, you, I'm sure you got a lot of restaurants in there. Yeah. So, for example, if you look at San Francisco, 49% of the businesses in San Francisco are expected to be out of business by the end of the year. Do you know how much real estate you're going to be able to pick up cheap on this? It's, going to, it's phenomenal. Now, when you realize that if they sell their tech stocks high, they can pick it up really cheap, what's important to understand is this makes the economics of building the smart grid out in the Fed cities. Remember, I said 34 of 37 cities have a Fed banker branch. So this makes building out the smart, smart grid around the Fed banks much cheaper, which I'm assuming you want to do if you're going to come out with a crypto system.
Okay. Okay, so Mr. Global is now coming to the point where... And can you explain who's Mr. Global? Yeah, so Mr. Global is my nickname for the committee that runs the world. The defining characteristic of life on planet Earth is our real global governance system is a mystery. And think about it, it's phenomenal we live on a planet and we don't demand to know how our governance system really works. But instead it's a secret. So, you know, I have a lot of high-octane conjectures Dr. Fair would say about who and what that is, but for now we'll call it Mr. Global. So Mr. Global is now implementing robotics. That's one of the new technologies that's really starting to make an enormous difference. So can you label that? That's okay, so, so, so here's our robot and here's our human. And of course the question for Mr. Global is, you know, which is more efficient doing what? In other words, if I'm supposed to manage the planet and all the natural resources and harvest it to my benefit and make sure, you know, my risk is reduced, how much do I want to use robots for and how much do I want to do, do humans for? Now, the brilliance of hooking everybody into the cloud with a crypt system, a crypto system, is with AI and software, I can have the humans teach the robots through the AI and software how to do all their jobs. And in fact, I was at the Aspen Institute in 2017, and I was having a discussion with, with a venture capitalist, you know, sort of billionaire type, and he looked at me with these amazingly dead eyes, and he said, look, honey, you know, I can I can take every company completely automate it with with software and robotics and and fire all the humans. We don't need them anymore. I've never talked to anybody who didn't understand the riot part, because uh -huh. that's a very typical old game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially in poor neighborhoods. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you want me to continue with this? So we have we have the. Mr. Global at the top. We have the database and software systems using artificial intelligence. Uh, a very important part of this now is the satellite system that's being put up in the orbital platform. And using telecommunications and digital technology, you have the ability 24-7 to track and monitor both your humans and your robots. And the question for Mr. Global is, what's more efficient? If I can do everything with robots, then what do I do with the humans? I don't need them anymore. So are we seeing build a kind of human farming or something? So they would describe it as resource management. And if you look at the technocracy and the writing about technocracy, so many of us describe we're moving from a, you know, whatever systems we use now to a technocracy. In a technocracy, they, they view, you have two different visions of the world. My vision of the world is that humans are sovereign individuals whose freedom comes by divine authority. That is what the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution all revolve around. The image of a, of a sovereign individual as, as someone um, who is free by divine authority. In the vision of technocracy, a human is a natural resource like a oil deposit and to be used as such. So 
they're not a sovereign individual, they're labor, and they are either more efficient or less efficient than a robot at different functions. In other words, what I'm saying is Mr. Global views the human race like livestock, not someone with which they share empathy and, you know, they don't view us as the same species as them. And in fact, with a lot of the biotechnology, they figure they're going to live much longer lives than we do and live very differently than we do. So there's been a real, one of the, one of the challenges with the secrecy as one group becomes more and more technologically advanced, they separate culturally, legally, financially from all the other groups. In other words, they have literally broken away and created a separate civilization. They don't think of themselves as part of our civilization anymore. Who's they? Well, that's the great mystery, and that's why I call this group Mr. Global. And I, you know, my personal experiences with many different people in that group and factions, but ultimately, I can't tell you who really controls. What I will tell you is the planet is run by force. And so ultimately, the question is, who is the, who is the most powerful gun? And that comes down to space. Who has the most powerful space presence, space weapons, as well as who controls the sea lanes? So traditionally, control behind the reserve currency came from control of the sea lanes. But then as we've moved into space, it's, it's now become control of both the sea lanes and the satellite lanes. And the question is, who controls what and who has what weapons? One of the reasons you've seen a very interesting discussion in the United States for the last two years is Trump has been very verbal about space force and what is possible in space. And he'll make these allusions to our magical weapons in space at which point the generals look at him very disapproving, like, don't talk about that. So the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. What we do know is part of the competition right now between China and America is that the player who has the most dominant position in space has the power to control the whole planet. So so the Chinese have a... Um, a system called the social credit system, and they're very much tying their financial transactions and different abilities to travel and do other things to your behavior. And, um, uh, you know, we've seen different TV shows talk about these kinds of systems. But you're talking about a, a world where, and we see it in China, where um, most people are under 24-7 surveillance, and then they're financial incentives and their financial powers relate to how well behaved they are. And I would describe it essentially as a, as a slavery system because there's no personal freedom. So to a certain extent, what technocracy will do is move us to a similar kind of system as the Chinese social credit system. Where if you misbehave, you can be punished. Right, so, so you know, you... So, so in theory, you have to get a certain kind of job to make a certain kind of money. Uh, in the current system, in the new system, you have to uh, work for a certain kind of company and achieve a certain kind of prominence to be allowed to, to move more than 10 miles from your home or to be allowed to fly. So there'll be a pecking order 
that relates to your freedoms to either travel or roam um, or how much sort of access you have to resources. So how much money you can make. But remember, you're, you're going into a system where if they believe they can automate everything with robotic software and AI, it's going to be that much harder for you to share in the benefits and the wealth of the system because the, the central group can extract so much more. In other words, they have a one-way mirror. They can see everything you do. You can't even see who they are. Yeah. Okay. What's very important to understand about what is happening is that the majority of people have been, if, if we're talking about a transhumanist system or, you know, in short, a slavery system, most of us have been supporting it and financing it and building it. So when I look at all the big pharma executives, why are they building a system where their own children or grandchildren will be slaves? Why are the central banks doing it? Why did they think, you know, there, there's a theory in America for many years among the sort of money classes that if I make enough money, I can get a waiver, I can get out of it, I can eat organic food, not eat the GMOs, and my grandkids, you know, won't have to take vaccines. But if you look at who's implementing all these different activities, you know, we're building our own slavery system, and that means we have the power to stop. In other words, we don't have to finance the companies that are doing this. We don't have to work for the companies that are doing this. And in fact, we don't even have to pay our taxes because the government is breaking all the laws related to financial management. We have the ability to hold them accountable. So we're building the prison and we're financing the prison and that gives us the power to stop. And that's why it's so important that we see where the system is going. There will be no exceptions. So what is the solution? Solution is number one, bring transparency to what's happening, understand where the system is going, and then stop building it. You know, if, if you work for big farming, We don't even have to pay our taxes because the government is breaking all the laws related to financial management. We have the ability to hold them accountable. So we're building the prison and we're financing the prison and that gives us the power to stop. And that's why it's so important that we see where the system is going. There will be no exceptions. So what is the solution? Solution is number one, bring transparency to what's happening understand where the system is going, and then stop building it. You know, if, if you work for Big Pharma and you're building this, stop. You know, go find something else to do. 
like build local fresh food systems so you will have food. Um, you know, so stop financing it. Um, begin the conversation of where this is going and more importantly, where we want to go. Because we're going to have to rebuild the economy bottom up if we don't want to be highly centralized. So this comes down to, you know, I call it coming clean. Once upon a time, I was in Washington. I was writing a check on my J.P. Morgan Chase private banking account. And in the meantime, I was engaged in 12 different tracks of litigation, litigating with the people who were trying to engineer the housing bubble. I was trying to stop the housing bubble from happening. And I was writing a check on my J.P. Morgan Chase personal banking account. I realized, why am I banking at the bank that's doing this criminality, that's destroying communities, that's doing predatory lending? And I said, you know, I need to come clean. I need to stop banking there. So, you know, if tomorrow everybody woke up in America and stopped banking at J.P. Morgan Chase and said, you know something, y'all are criminals, we want nothing to do with you, we're out, and went to a local credit union or community bank, it would be a revolution. It would be a, a, a total revolution. If 20 women turned to big farm executives and said, you know something, you're disgusting, no sex, bye, out the door. Be a revolution. So we have the power to change this, but we're all going to have to come clean because almost all of us are complicit in implementing this. It's not them, it's us. The solution is for every one of us to come clean. You're either for the transhumanist slavery system or you're for, for a human system. But if you're for a human system, then you're going to have to find a way to make money you know, and, 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 and engage socially in a human system and stop building a, a transhuman system. Well, the first thing you have to see is you have to get a good map. In other words, you can't navigate this unless you can see the transhuman system that is being built and who's building it. But if you're involved with, so let's go back to the pillars, okay? Don't help the military build Operation Warp Speed, okay? Don't help the tech guys figure out how to inject nanoparticles into your body and hook them up to the cloud. Don't help big pharma, you know, make, make injections which are poisoning American children to death. Don't help big ag make grow GMO food that is poisoning America to death. Don't help the government institute corrupt, you know, sort of health crisis regulations that are really disaster capitalism in making the private equity guys and the billionaires rich, and on and on and on. But if you, if you, you know, I'll just be blunt, get the state of our currencies and read it and you'll know who's doing this. I mean, it's pretty obvious who's doing this. And that was the end of the uh, uh, show. <laughs> are you there? I am here, yeah. So... <clears throat> Sorry about the glitch and the putting up disturbance. I was looking for a, you know, a break thing, and I don't know why it turned on. It shouldn't have, but I apologize. Oh, well. <laughs> it's kind of a poignant little thing. I, yeah, know, yeah, of, right. Uh, the sound of silence right. is what tells us. So, um, all right, so we got five minutes before our break, but so let's just jump in with a, a little summary response. Now, I think we might have listened to this some months ago, but but this is... 
No, this is this a different. This is a yeah. This is a different one. This was back. In, okay, covered a lot of the same territory, but was some of it new. There was um, some of it new, but it was a, a slightly different way of looking at. It, like I say, from a more global standpoint than uh, the yes, it's, it's similar information, but you can't, you know, you can't hear it enough. Yeah, exactly. I'm really glad we're we're playing this, and you know, it comes up for me the solution at the end where she went, you know, point by point, don't help big pharma, you know, do this, don't help, you know, big agriculture, you know, poisonous, don't, et cetera, et cetera. That is all based on the strategy of we are the many, they are the few. If we withdraw cooperation from the system, it collapses. If we focus on freedom-based systems, those systems grow and expand. And this is the heart of the wonderful book by Eugene Sharp, From Dictatorship to Democracy, in which, you know, and he's a Princeton uh, professor. It's a very, you know, neutral academic study, but he goes over all the different methods of revolution, you know, and guess what works, folks? Nonviolent withdrawal of cooperation is what actually transforms and, you know, she says she also makes the point. I love this. She makes the point says we're not really talking about capitalism here. You know, it's OK. Rampantly exploitive capitalism. No, it is totalitarianism. Economic totalitarianism is what they want. You know, this and, you know, getting Americans to say, oh, it's good old fashioned capitalism. No, it's economic slavery. It's totalitarianism. There's no other word for it. Uh, a more total totalitarianism than has ever um, been exercised on the planet. That's what they have in mind. So um, so there's there's a whole rich, you know, territory for us to explore in our in our second hour uh, coming up here in a minute. Uh, did you want to put in some thoughts, Nance? Well, I, I it, it, when she talked about, you know, the banks. OK, I, I don't I have USAA, which is a military was set up by military, you know, retiree people. And uh, so, you know, I, I it's it, it's it's outside of that system. Um, it's not a credit union, but it is outside that system. But when she talks about taking the money, you know, taking the money out of a bank, you know, take away their their funding. When we were back in the 60s and there was it was uh, would have been May. Uh, well, actually, it was May of 1970, I think. Um, the. Organize uh, the 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 kids, the the college kids, organized better than I've ever seen a military operation conducted. I mean, it was amazing to me. I wasn't part of it. I was just observing it. <clears throat> and they um, decided that to make their point because it was obvious that there was it was in response to the state uh, Kent State assassinations of those kids. Um, the the people that were on the campuses went into complete uproar, but it wasn't getting on the, you know, normally, I mean, there was a little bit of it, but nothing like what was happening. At the University of Massachusetts, they actually had a command center that was telephonically connected to Berkeley in California, and they had a, a, a United States map up, and they were putting stars on every college and university that had closed down in response to the Kent State. It was massive. 
it was absolutely massive, but it never got the play that it should have because, of course, this just blew up in their faces terribly. And um, so at that time, they decided to have a run on the Amherst Bank at the University of Massachusetts. And so all these kids that had bank accounts in Amherst just left the, it was a big stage, and they were talking about this, and let's go right now and take our money out. And they did. I went with them. You know, it was about a mile and a half from the bank, from where we were having this, this uh, you know, get-together. And they all went down Main Street, stopped the, you know, traffic, and went to the bank. And, of course, when the bank saw it was happening, they shut the bank. But it was, the promise was, if, you know, if, if, if this doesn't work, then we're going to, you know, take our, actually take all the money out. We will do this. Well, when I was in this crowd, I saw a CBS camera and an NBC camera. Saw them. So flash forward, you know, when I'm in the military and I'm at a, a, a just a get-together and one of the master sergeants was talking to me and he said, you went to the University of Massachusetts? And I said, yes. And he said, were you there in 70, May of 70? And I said, yeah, I was. And he said, so wasn't I. And I said, what the hell were you doing there? Because he was much older than I was. And he said, um, well, he said, I was an op- doing an operation to make sure that the uh, bank run that the co- college students were doing on the Amherst Bank wasn't, didn't ever hit the airstreams. And I said, I saw cameras. He said, those cameras didn't have any film in them. And he, his yeah, job, this, his job, his yeah. job was was to monitor telephone communications. This was a signal security man. His job was to to trace us through any kind of telephones that were being used at the time, not like we got now. But way back then, they were already <laughs> in an in an in an open operation to shut down by using every force they had, including the U.S. military, in one of their most uh, that most highly secret uh, units. So I just wanted to pass that on. It's a real thing. Yeah, They're course, very afraid of that. Yeah, that's a violation of posse comitatus. That's using the military against the American people. Precisely. You know, that flagrant violation of the Constitution. Of course, we know there's, you know, rogue ops, black ops, you know, um, it's been going on for a long time. But again, transparency kills the game. This is the note of hope from Catherine Austin Fitz here. Transparency kills the game. So in our second hour, you know, I'd love to delve uh, into that more because, you know, transparency only works if this story gets through to people clearly in a way that they understand. If they understand the facts behind a story that grabs them, because in the end, as you and I know this, Nancy, you know, it comes down to the storytelling and whose storytelling is based on the facts and is based on freedom and you know the the ultimate benefit of of humanity and exposing all this. So, hey, in hour number two, and I'd love to hear disturbance with that song if you got that lined up. <laughs> that's 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 what I was lining up, you know, and I right it because, just uh, took off on me. What can I tell you? Yeah, we love the song, the sound of silence, and we we don't love the reality of the sound of silence because our freedom and liberation comes from speaking out. So uh, after this wonderful song from Disturbance, Nancy Hopkins and I will be back on Radio 5G. And we are back.
All right. Welcome back, everybody. Radio 5G, Michael Henry Dunn, Nancy Hopkins, and we have just listened to Disturbance singing the classic Simon Garfunkel, the great Paul Simon song. Actually, I I was corrected by my chatters. It's Disturbed. The group is called Disturbed. Disturbed. (laughs) I love it. Disturbed. All right. I like disturbance better because that's what I think we should be, a disturbance into the plan that they have, the Mr. Globe. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was uh, doing a brief, unfortunate episode in my career. I uh, diverted myself from my storytelling dharma into financial services, uh, and which has helped me understand all this a little better. I knew just enough to be dangerous. I had a securities license, just enough to be dangerous to my clients. But uh, we're trained in sales technique, and job one is to disturb the client. You are comfortable and complacent, and you don't know what's coming. You need to be disturbed. I'm here to disturb you with financial realities that will get you to buy this variable universal life insurance policy with a tax-protected retirement plan, blah, 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 right? But anyway, uh, disturbed uh, can certainly uh, disturb us. And, you know, if Castor and Austin Austin Fitz didn't disturb you – you probably need to listen to a different radio show <laughs> than us. Right? I agree. Oh. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I look at the at the big picture of what she presented, as bleak as it sounds, I find reason for um, reality-based optimism. And we've touched on this a few times, Nancy, you know, about decentralization as the saving dynamic. This is all about everything she described that Mr. Global is trying to foist on us is all about ultimate centralized control by the elite of the people for the benefit of the elite, right? And the decentralization, uh, you know, is is the answer. That's that's the magic bullet for for freedom, for the people, for our divine sovereignty. And you know, if you look at what's happening now, there are encouraging signs about, you know, I mean, it, it's it's just like with what we saw in the beginning with 5G. And we got Mark Steele coming out telling us, you know, it's a killing field. The whole thing's a killing field. Right. Um, you know, that it came out too soon. They had to rush it. The bad guys had to rush the implementation of the system because the freedom movement was getting ahead of them. They had to rush the implementation of the bug because the freedom movement was starting to take down the 5G implementation. And so once again, you know, okay, you know, we got the DNC back in charge with, you know, Biden puppet up there. And now they are having to rush, you know, the implementation of the control system with the bug and the jabs. Um, and, you know, you look around at the movements that are arising to to prevent the implementation of the control system, to prevent, you know, um, the bug passports and and everything else, all of the you know legal tools that are um, having effect all of, you know, and as the consequences become more widely known of the effects of the jabs on the folks who are um, suffering and dying, they, you know, it's, it's only going to grow. They, they have once again, at least in my view, and I'd love to, you know, let's explore this. Um, you're, you're going to see 
breakaway counties refusing within states. You're going to see breakaway states, you know, refusing um, to go along with with, you know, the Fed's. Uh, implementation of control and and Mr. Global's implementation of control, you're you are going to see and are already seeing you know some nations uh, breaking away, and and so this is what now maybe I'm being um, Pollyannish and overly optimistic about this, but but th- this is what I you know when push is coming to shove soon, it's already happening, and. You know, I I have faith in the innate character of enough of the American people. What I like to think of as, you know, the American character still beneath all of it, beneath the sheeple and beneath, you know, uh, everything that's been done to us that we're not going along with this. You know, that that we will ultimately rise up peacefully, nonviolently, except where necessary to protect life. Um you know, to to have the decentralization just become more than they can possibly manage. And then, you know, the system breaks down when we nonviolently withdraw cooperation from, you know, helping out in the institution of our own slavery. That's what I'm hoping. You know, we had that Aldous Huxley interview from 1963 with Mike Wallace, and he was a member of the elite. And he was describing how decentralization is the magic bullet for us. So I'm going to turn off the sound on those dogs in the background and hear your thoughts on that, Nancy. Well, you know, it comes down to the to the fact that the Constitution, the entire federal government was put together by independent states who said, let's just have, we'll create this federal government that'll deal with the big things. The big things being, um, you know, your infrastructure, your your mail, your streets, your, they didn't even think of railroads at that time, but those type of things. And to negotiate with other countries. I mean, it's better to come from a, from a group. We're a group here, and this is the, the, instrument that we talked to you through is the federal government. The Tenth Amendment, which we've talked about before, states that if the federal government is not living up to what the Constitution says it should be, which is very limited in what it could do and very limited in how much actual acreage it controlled because it was given in the Constitution 10 square miles, District of Columbia. That's all. They could get more federal land if they had a war and they captured something, you know, or if they bought it. But let's look at the reality. The reality is, is that a good portion of the United States has been taken over by the federal government in all their um, land acquisitions of federal parks, federal parks. Um, So, I mean, you look at a map that shows what uh, in the states that are you know especially in in the western part of the the country um how many acreages are federally controlled versus independently by the people of the state and it's 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 spooky i mean some of these states more way more than half of their state is actually federal land which is totally against the constitution because i don't think they got paid for it <laughs> you know yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here in the San Luis Valley in southern Colorado, and from where I sit, and this is one of the most sparsely populated counties in America, uh, where I sit, I'm looking out at Mount Blanca, uh, which is a sacred mountain to the tribes, and it's also the site of many stories, pretty well-founded, of various black ops going on in there, military bases, alien sightings, rogue operations against hostile aliens, you know, and there's the whole off-planet scenario of, okay, the heck, you know, the cast, Catherine Austin Fitz is telling us about the high ground of space. Well, you know, if you buy into the likely supposition that, yeah, we've had off-planet presence on the planet for a very long time, it's about who's allied with whom, you know, it's just military strategy writ large on the, the space scale, who controls the high ground. I remember, I might have quoted this to you before, back in the early 60s, you know, in 1957, the Soviets launched Sputnik, huge scare in the U.S. Oh, my God, we got to catch up. And, oh, it's the race to the moon. And LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, who was then um, Senate Majority Leader, you know, said, um, well, I tell you this, I am not going to go to sleep under a communist moon. (laughs) Who controls the high ground of space, right? So Mount Blanca, you're talking about federal land, Nancy. Um, I had a discussion just the other day with somebody here in in, uh, this valley where I live in Crestone um, about the things that have gone on on Mount Blanca. There was a Local helicopter out of Alamosa, police helicopter, gets an emergency call to try to rescue a black ops group that's gotten the wrong side of uh, a fight on the top of Mount Blanca. Uh, Wrong side of a fight with whether it's, you know, an alien base or another rogue group. It's gone very badly. It's at 14,000 feet elevation. And these guys are are in deep doo-doo, as Bush Sr. would say. And uh, so this guy had actually gone with a police helicopter to 14,000 feet and try to pull these guys off the mountain. Like, well, what's going on in that mountain? And it's a huge, it's more of a mountain range. It's got a peak at 14,000 feet. And, well, guess who owns that mountain? Guess who owns all the land around it? Yep, Uncle Sam. And, you know, just how did Uncle Sam end up controlling, you know, what was originally, of course, a mountain sacred to the tribes. And there's electromagnetic anomalies in this valley that are off the charts because of the largest freshwater aquifer in the North American continent with a huge layer of crystals and gold underneath it. It's 35,000 feet down. They can't mine it. But this has been, this valley has been the site of, you know, portals and UFOs and strange disappearances and all that kind of spooky phenomena for a very long time. But it brings up the point that you're raising, Nancy, is, you know, when you talk about independent states, that is eroded, you know, as as Uncle Sam grabs more land. But if we champion the Constitution and the Declaration, you know, there's a reason for the Electoral College. There's a reason for the name of our country, the United States of America. You know, you may say, oh, the Electoral College, you know, it's an antiquated system put up by, you know, white slave owners. Well, no, folks, you know, if you take away the Electoral College, you have just dealt a crippling blow to the sovereignty of the states and for the ability of Wyoming to choose to have 
you know, a different framework than Massachusetts. If you want to do a extreme red blue contrast, Wyoming and Massachusetts would be a good one for you. So yeah, and and it's going to go to the heart of, of of what's unfolding in terms of a decentralization dynamic that I think is going to play out over the next ten years. The landscape's going to look very different. I hope and pray. I mean, we'll see. Well, I hope it does look different from what we got now. But I hope it looks, you know, oh yeah, I remember that. You know, the concept that the states have come together. Like, I have always firmly been committed to, well, once I understood the dynamics of it, that the the Civil War, the states had every right in the world to secede from the Union. That was what it was all about. You're not doing what, regardless of the question, you're not doing what we feel comfortable with and so we're going to just take ourselves out of this federation. By law, it I don't see, unless you know something I don't, where they didn't have that legal right to do that. And essentially within the Constitution, a mandatory right, a mandatory obligation to do it. If you're not comfortable with this anymore, then break the contract. Say, I'm out of here. Goodbye. You know? Yeah. Well, um I'm going to politely disagree with you on that. You know, what the South did was exercise the right of revolution. They didn't exercise any right that, you know, and there's a a big debate on this issue. Historians on both sides back and forth. Credible arguments can be made on both sides. But, you know, the the Constitution, by one view, does not hold within it a mechanism for its own destruction. You know, and essentially, you know, Lincoln, I believe, was correct in identifying that what the South did, you know, ate at the fundamental concept of democracy, which is we don't like the way the election turned out. So even though we participated in the election, we lost. So we're now out. Right. And, um, you know, so the Gettysburg Address, the reason it's immortal, because it does bring it all back down to the, you know, the question that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. You know, I mean, Lincoln made the analogy. I mean, part of the reason the South lost the war, I mean, there's lots of strategic reasons in terms of cannon factories in the north and the blockade and all the rest of it. But they carried the concept of, well, okay, Jefferson Davis, you're there in Richmond, and you're been, you've been elected the president of the Confederacy, but now you're asking the sovereign state of Mississippi to send you regiments, you know, to implement, well, oh, we're exercising our sovereign rights down here in Mississippi, and sorry, Mr. Davis, you don't, you don't get to call on that. And then it's like, okay, well, we've opted out of the contract. Well, okay, then some county in Mississippi can say, well, we don't like what the governor down, you know, in the capital of Mississippi is telling us what to do. We, you know, pretty soon, Lincoln made the analogy, you've got monkeys throwing coconuts at each other in the trees because everybody's opting out of their contract. You know, and I'm sorry, according to the governors of those states, according to Vice President Steve, Alexander Stevens of the Confederacy, no two ways about it. The war was to protect the institution of slavery. They said it in their own words at the time of secession. This is to protect the institution of slavery from the election of someone who is merely 
committed to limiting the growth. Lincoln wasn't going to abolish slavery. He was a moderate. He was a centrist. You know, he just was committed. We believe slavery is wrong. We want to limit its expansion into the territories, and that's going to be our policy. And, you know, disinformation huge on both sides. And, you know, the raid at Harper's Ferry, John Brown radicalized the South because it raised the specter of a violent, bloody slave revolution, scared the bejesus out of every Southerner. And the fact that the North, while they said, yeah, the guy deserves to be executed, but he was a moral hero. They said, yeah, this guy's a moral hero and he would have raped our women and children and put us all to the blade like they did in Haiti, which Catherine Austin Fitz was talking about. So, you know, you had this polarization that there was just no way it was going to play out any differently than what it played out. Everything was completely blinded by fear. And so the core issues were lost sight of. Anyway, that's my little speech about, you know, uh, the union in terms of whether or not the South exercised what, in their view, was the right of revolution. You're threatening our fundamental way of life. And um, so whether the Constitution provides for it or not, we're out and we are firing on Fort Sumter. So (laughs) end of story. No, no, I I totally agree with you that that's that's the way it went down, but from the concept of, you know, the basic understanding that I have of what was in the minds of the founding fathers, it's like no, the state should be in control. And I go back to the tenth uh, amendment because when it's it's it states that if if the federal government is is breaking the contract by whatever they're doing, then you have not only the right but the obligation to say, no, you can't do this to the federal government. So the idea of the judicial system, you know, was was where you would find remedy for it, not grabbing rifles and, you know, running. But they also make it very clear that if the states do not stand up for the people, the individual people, then it's the right of the people and obligation of the people to stand up for themselves. And yeah. You know, so, um, I mean, I'm just very grateful that I live in the state of Florida and that we have DeSantis and his team that is in charge um, because they have a very, you know, it's not Republican. It's not even conservative. It's just, look at benevolent capitalism, taking care of people, working together. You know, this is this is what works because that's what works. And they're just yeah. pragmatists. You know, it was like right. if, if you listen to, to the governor and you hear, I mean, he's just he's just so down to earth, you know. Well, how come you don't have so many COVID deaths? Well, because we looked at the data and the data said that the people, you know, in their, the elderly group was the ones that were, were, were dying. So we, we separated them. We, we took them and kept them in there. If they were healthy, they, they stayed in their, in their own place and nobody was allowed in with COVID. If you had COVID and you couldn't stay in the hospital anymore because you weren't that bad, then you went to a, spe- a special COVID nursing home where everybody in it were, were already had COVID or had, it, were in the process of having COVID. So he looked at the, the things like a military man would do with very, you know, well, this is, we got, our goal is to save people. Who's, who's the most vulnerable? The elderly. All right, so let's focus all of our attention on getting the elderly safe. And so, yeah, I mean, Florida's got the the highest population of elderly. I think it's the highest. It might, yeah, yeah I think it's the highest. 
and yet we have the fewer deaths because of the way that he went and did this. And, you know, he's taking this crapola that's being dished out by, you know, Biden, and he's saying, no, we're not going to do that. You don't have any right. He's not waiting for the courts to tell him what he can and can't do. He's bringing up legislative law after legislative law to stop the movement of the feds. You 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 wanna you wanna say it's okay for for Facebook to to throw people off of of their of their format because they disagree with their political views and you've got a First Amendment and all sorts of other things happening there. No, you're not going to do that in the state of Florida. If if they if I went to the governor after this bill is passed and I said Facebook shut me down for three months because I was posting the truth, really? Okay, nice. Hey, Facebook, you owe this lady some money. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's where they're they're, happening. Is that actually happening? Oh, yes, yes. That's absolutely what's happening. He's he his position and the position of the legislator of Florida is that you are using um, uh, monopoly powers in order to punish my people. And you're not going to do it in this state. You know, you wow. want to come in here and do this to the, our people, then we are going to fine you and fine you heavily for this. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty interesting. And fines, you know, when they're applied to a corporation that's, you know, worth hundreds of billions, they go, all right, cost of doing business, no problem. A few fines here, you know, a few little lawsuits there. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we roll on, um, you know, with the globalist agenda. But it's – but. This can spread. This is the good news. Well, you know, not only could it spread, so. but one of the people that's a citizen of the state of Florida is a man by the name of Donald Trump. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you're not going to do it in our turf. And, yeah, but I'm here. I mean, I know other people probably in, in Florida, and there's an awful lot of people moving to Florida. I mean, the, you know, the people want to get out of where they're at and they're moving to Florida because it's a sovereign state. They understand, we understand that we are a sovereign state and that the federal government can try to make these laws, but if it's not going to be accepted down at the state level, we have the right and obligation to say, no, not here. Yeah, and, and this actually, you know, goes back in history, you know, to the creation of the Constitution. This was an issue and this was a crisis, not, you know, just 70 years, 80 years later with the Civil War, but from the beginning, what they called the nullification crisis, where early on in the 1790s, you know, the states are going, hey, feds, you know, um, we're the sovereign state and we get to nullify the federal law you just made in our state. And it went, you know, it went back and forth. How do you find the, you know, the balance between a central government sufficiently strong to be able to pay its, you know, its debts and to provide defense? And, you know, that's, this is part of what led to the War of 1812. And, you know, you get Andrew, Andrew Jackson, who was, you know, a virulent enemy of the central bankers. And he said, let my epitaph be, let them write on my gravestone, he killed the bank, you know. And and there's a quote from Nathan Rothschild um, when, you know, we refused to renew the charter. It's like, we shall engage them in a ruinous war that will impose, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, you know, um, 
that will impose such debt slavery, you know, upon them. We will engage them in a ruinous war. It's time for them to, you know, remember, be reminded who's boss. Well, hey, thanks to uh, Jean Lafitte, the privateer, he wasn't pirate, Jean Lafitte in New Orleans. This, the treaty had already been signed, ending the war, but the devastating defeat of the British in New Orleans gave the U.S. the upper hand. And, you know, we were able to push off uh, the control of the central bankers for a few more decades, you know, until uh, the Aldrich Act in 1912. And what happened in 1871, and the USA Incorporated, and many of our listeners know about that. But um, I get a little diverted here. But yeah, it does come back to this, and I see the decentralization dynamic, you know, and it's also going to go to the currencies going away. If you've got regional currencies which are operating independently, um, if you've got communities that are self-sufficient with food, if you've got effective, you know, barter exchange among communities that are opting out of, of the control system, of the slavery system, and if that example is allowed to spread, and people say, hey, look, you know, look what they're doing in Colorado. Look what they're doing in Florida. Let's do that. You know, let's let's be independent of the system. And then if all those are popping up everywhere, it's whack-a-mole. And they can't win a whack-a-mole game if if it becomes, you know, too proliferated. And the same goes for spirituality, you know, because as you and I know, and I'd love to, you know, hear more about what you're talking about Walt Silva um, beginning to, you know, the two of you pioneering in this way, that the ultimate control, of course, is on the level of consciousness and intention, the quantum reality, and and all the rest flows from that. You know, if Catherine Austin fits, we get the 3D on the ground facts, which is just so refreshing to get grounded in that. But do you want to like redirect in the direction of, of the quantum and, and how um, we can implement it in this context? Yeah, I'm not sure if you're there, Michael, because there was a lot of static behind you. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. Uh, my heating system just kicked okay. in. Okay, so all right, okay, okay. I, I was wondering if were you getting shut down somehow. No, uh, no I'm mute. Uh, okay, to, okay. Uh, good, good, good. Yeah. Um, okay, so what, what we're looking at is exactly as, as Michael is, is trying to explain is you've got this globalist concept that they want to control us from one central spot. There was a, he, she made a reference to the European invasion of um, in, immigrants coming into Europe. And that was, at the time it was happening even, people were talking about the fact that this was a ploy by the Mr. Globalist to erode the cultural and social structure of the European countries. Now she brought in another uh, concept that I, I actually did not pick up at, at the time. I was just watching them try to destroy the social and cultural integrity of Germany, of France, of Spain by an influx. It's like you got this perfectly fresh water and then you open up a, a, a stream of salt water. And the salt water now merges with the with the what, the pure water, and you don't have the same, in this case, social and cultural environment anymore. So when you got that situation occurring, it's, in, in her opinion, it's a, a control mechanism because now you are causing 
friction amongst you know the the pull apart of the societies and the cultures, and therefore you need government to help you. You know you gotta you gotta do something about this. You know, um, which was very bizarre in the response because what they did is what they're doing on the border here, over there in Europe. They said. Well, we're going to give these people, these immigrants, money and a place to live, and we're not going to put them in jail because they're raping people because they don't know any better. I mean, it was absurd, the reaction of the governments. And when you look at what's happening right now, you've got, you know, 100,000 people coming over the border in the last month. And in that 100,000, the American government, in quotes, um, is housing them they've got schools set up so that people from uh, California cities that are refusing to teach the American kids anything because of the fear of COVID are volunteering to go down there to be in these schools with these immigrants There, I don't know if it happened there was the statement that they were also going to get this last stimulus this $1,400 or whatever it was um, stimulus They were they were going to get it too and they're going to be sent all over the country. I mean, it's like, wait a minute, what happened to the COVID thing? They're saying that, you know, they've got at least 10% of the people coming in have got COVID. And that's the ones that they're testing. So you've got another situation where you're opened up the salt water into the pure water and you're, you know, completely changing it to the point that Americans are paying for. Illegal. Now, what does the word illegal mean? It means they broke the law. No, regardless, right. of this, regardless of why they came or what, what what's prompting it, okay? They broke the law. And, yeah. you, you know, what's really tragic about this is, is the more you look at it, you more the more you realize, as a matter of fact, um, Facebook was allowing the coyotes to use Facebook to garner uh, people's who will sell their children to the coyotes with the promise that the coyotes will get them to America. I mean, this is what's happening. And so, you know, I mean, I have to, I have to say the same thing that, that one of the commentators said, you know, that this is inhumane. I mean, can you imagine sending your child with a known criminal, going to break the laws of the America, if just that, and you give him money to take your child to the to to the border on you know, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of miles. It's a hundred miles. I mean, it's like a lot of it takes them months to get there. You know, is this is this does this even make sense? So you're eroding at the very basic the the concept of a mother a father protects their children. Yeah. I mean, you know why? Because of the promise of you know all of this economic boom that the kids are going to get. And so you you trust the coyote. I mean, it's like, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. This is pipe dreaming weirdness. But the coyotes yeah. are saying to them, I'll take care of them. Don't you worry about it. I'll take care of them. So they drop them, you know, 12 feet over a wall, a five and th- uh, three-year-old kid. They got it on film. I don't know if you've seen it. They actually drop these kids over the fence, from the top of the fence down. A three-year-old and a five-year-old, sisters. And they caught well, it on film. Well, you know, in, in, in terms of what's happening in the Middle East and, and the Mediterranean and the influx there, it's on a much more massive scale in terms of population percentage than what we see, you know, happening on our border. I mean, 
you know, there are countries in the Middle East that that look to Europe and say, hey, you know, here in the country of Jordan, we've got 10% of our population are refugees from Syria or or from elsewhere, you know, where, guess what, NATO went in and bombed the heck out of Syria and, you know, and so all these people are, are now refugees. Um, but in, in terms of the big picture of exactly what you're describing, Nancy, you know, the huge influx of of desperate and misinformed, deluded, led on by promises of, uh, you know, oh, there's a, you know, there's a paycheck and a safety net waiting for you, you know, in Greece or Italy or Spain. Um, yeah, it is about destabilizing these cultures and societies, eroding their cultural identity, um, you know, creating, I mean, it's the old thing. It's divide and conquer. It's like Catherine Austin Fitz was saying in this interview we just listened to, you know, black against white, men against women, wherever possible. I mean, it it just drives me nuts that that people don't see this. To me, it is just, I mean, once you've, you know, once the blindfold is off and you're seeing it, you're looking at all the other people still wearing their blindfolds and you're going, seriously, people, you know, um, you want to talk about racism and sexism, you know, God forbid. I mean, I made, I made this analogy in on Facebook recently in response to somebody, um, you know, if you post a, a post on Facebook and you say, you know, suppose you're a woman and you get up there and you say, or a guy, it doesn't matter. If one more white male tells me I'm out of line with my post, I may have to punch his lights out, right? One more white male tells me I'm out of line, I may have to punch his lights out. You're going to get all sorts of people going, yeah, right on, sister, there you go, you know, the patriarchy, the white male. Okay, take the same sentence. Say, if one more woman of color tells me I'm out of line, I may have to punch her lights out. You will be deleted so fast, you will be ganged up on so fast and legitimately because it is a racist and sexist violent statement, but it's okay to make it if it's a white male. That's fine because it's about divide and conquer. It's about tribalization. It's about getting us to hate each other. And, you know, so the, that's what's going on. And it's the same thing that's going on, you know, in, in terms of what's happening. Um, with the the immigration crisis, you know, in in southern Europe and elsewhere, not just southern Europe, you know, throughout Europe. Um, so, but I, you know, just to get back to the hopeful uh, scenario, because it's it's where I like to, you know, we all could use more of that than than more of the bleak news. Um, you know, to me, it comes down to okay, what are we doing here on Radio Five G? Nancy and Michael coming to you as often as we can. It's about telling the story in a way that is cogent and credible and makes sense and allows all of you as sovereign beings to make your own choices and decide which story you want to believe. You want to believe the propaganda story in the mass media uh, about the invisible enemy and how, you know, Uncle Sam's going to protect you from the invisible enemy. That's why you need big government to come in with, you know, the jab and the bug and the passports and all the rest of it? Or are you going to believe the story of 
a divine sovereignty at birth as a human being and not as a natural resource to be exploited by the elite for their benefit. What do you want? You want a slavery system or do you want the divine sovereignty system? Which story makes more sense? Which story is of the ultimate benefit to you and your children and your children's children and to this beautiful planet we live on? So, you know, it's I love the point she made, too, about there's no middle ground anymore. You're either going to be pro-slavery system or pro-freedom. It is actually like what happened with the Civil War. There was something called the Know Nothing Party, where it goes, you know, this whole slavery thing is just, you know, too troublesome and and volatile. We're going to our policy is to know nothing about it. We don't take a stand. We're going to be in the middle. You know, we're just you know, it's like, no, those days are done. You can't you cannot take a stand on this um, unless you just want to, you know, march in obedient file towards the slaughterhouse. Or do you want a life as a human being for your for yourself, your kids and your grandchildren? So which story do you want to believe? I think we're telling a pretty good story here. And um, and I love, you know, when we're talking about you and I were talking about earlier, Nancy, about the Holy Grail vortex protocol of our friend Mary Hardy and how that is exercising our divine sovereign power to utilize the sacred science of toroidal energies, how to break through the energetic clampdown system that's been placed over the planet, that using, you know, intention and the quantum reality to one by one, sovereign being by sovereign being, throw off the system of control. Um, is this a good time to explore that a little bit about what you and Walt were discussing or what do you think? Yes, we can do that. I just, well, I'm about to post in the uh, chat room, <clears throat> excuse me, um, a link to what Walt read last night on Cosmic Reality, the radio show. And that'll be up in the archives today. Now, what is... I, the woman that wrote that is Gail Mack. Is that the one you were trying to remember her name earlier? That's exactly. Uh, Gail Mack is um, just a, a wonderful person. Um, very committed. We've done a lot of work with, with Mary Hardy over the years on, on, on the Holy Grail Vortex Protocol. And very effective operations in key power spots around the globe at key moments, um, you know, directed by their own in intuitive guidance and, and some on the ground intel as well. And, you know, when they go to like Stonehenge, for example, at a critical moment and perform the Holy Grail Vortex Protocol, and what happens at a lot of these places, when they do this, half an hour, 45 minutes of gathering in a circle, nine or 10 people, and, you know, using these toroidal energies, no devices, right? Just this powerful invocation and creation of this toroidal field. Guess who shows up? They get buzzed by black helicopters or a black SUV with tinted windows will uh, pull up, you know, 40 yards away. And this happens over and over again because those grids are monitored. And the thing is, if you're supposedly there's some treaty that even the bad guys have to acknowledge that if you are using your sovereign power as a soul to break free, to use these terrestrial energies to cause a, 
a disruption in the control grid, they cannot interfere. Um, but if you use some device, they can arrest you. I don't know the details of that treaty or if it even exists, but it seems to be borne out by what's happened again and again. So uh, Gail Mack, wonderful person, um, love to have her on the show. We had her here at our Sacred Academy of Global Evolution conference in the fall of 2019. Um, and she gave a wonderful presentation on the Holy Grail Vortex Protocol. I encourage you all to look it up on YouTube. So, yeah, what do you, what do you got with Walt there? Nancy. Sorry, I was muted. If you if you go into the to the Skype messaging there um, and click on it that I just posted, it's a photograph that is the promo for last night's show, and I'm doing that because it gives you some of the pictures that um, we were talking about. And the vortex was now. You said that Mary Hardy um, got the information from twelve Templars. Is that correct? Okay, so, uh, yes, Mary's original download came in a very tangible um, visit of 12 Templar Knights. Uh, and this is not, you know, 12 guys showing up and knocking on her door. This is um, on the etheric level, on the astral level, and that um, she was given the Holy Grail Vortex Protocol um, by these 12 Templar beings, uh, shall we call them, which Nancy and I pointed out in an earlier show a few weeks ago related to Oak Island. And Nancy, you shared your experience of doing a remote on what's really going down on Oak Island, coming to a, a chamber off of where they've been doing the main digging for a couple centuries and finding a secret hidden chamber where you got what you called as a, a super spooky feeling that just made you feel like, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm going to mess with that. But what our friend Reverend Maya has received that there are 12 Templar beings in a state of suspended uh, animation, if you will, in that chamber, holding energy for the planet, doing these kind of, of sacred operations, you might call them. Uh, we won't call them black ops, we'll call them, you know, high ops, <laughs> right? And that... Um, that's the background on, on the 12 Templar uh, story that Mary Hardy – and her first question to me when I met her in person, um, I shook her hand, and, and she's in her 80s now. She just looked straight into my eyes and just asked a blunt question. Before she said hello or anything else, she just said, are you a Templar? My answer is yes, and this is Templar work. So I'd love to learn more about how uh, Walt is looking at this. Well, what happened was that he heard you tell that story, and in the uh, promo I had, or in the notes, I had actually uh, put a link to the video. No, I think he found the video. I'm not sure. Somehow or another, we got this video, and it shows, you know, with graphics, how they are doing this vortex, creating the vortex, and essentially the link that I put up there um, shows you what the words are as they're putting this, you know, chanting, they're chanting certain, you know, invocation because the idea is to put your focus on a central point. In this case, um, they, they, I think they were using a fountain. Um, but you put your, your, your focus on the, on the fountain and then you imagine this 
uh, standing wave coming down from the sky, and that's the first one in the in the pictures. You'll see it's a yellow one, and then a second one coming down from the sky, and both of those units are rotating counterclockwise, and then you build one that comes up from the ground. But this is going the other way. It's going clockwise. And a, and a fourth one. So you've got these four standing waves, and they're meshed together. Well, when Walt saw this, he remembered this device that he had created many years ago, probably 10 years ago, and didn't know what in the heck it was supposed to be. But so he goes to the guides, and he says, um, do I have a right to, to work with this energy you know, associated with, I think that this is something to do with this, blah, blah, blah. Yes, 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 yes. So what you see in the far right side of the, you know, there's a, a copper pole, and on top of it, there's actually, that's a crystal. It's a, it's a rose quartz crystal. And down at the bottom, you've got a, um, an energy uh, device that you can see over to the left. You'll see a close-up of it. And it's in a resin uh, base that's got uh, raw shungite and uh, uh, silver-saturated shungite in it. And those are actually four different spirals. And each of those spirals is cut in the frequency of love. Because everything has a frequency. And Walt can determine using a pendulum and asking the guides what is the frequency of a given thing, in this case, love. So what he does is the, the copper coil there, which is like a pipe that you'd put use for uh, your refrigerator. You'll see them in there sometimes. When you've got that situation, he, he, the spiral, the length of the spiral is actually the, uh, allows for the, for the frequency of love to be perfectly aligned in it because it, it's the same, it's cut to, for that frequency. And so each of those has that particular frequency because you can go smaller or bigger depending on you know what it is you're doing the how big you're, you're doing the circle so it's a device of energy frequency modulation and it's all four stacks of love and then at the top of that uh, what, what, what we what we immediately as we were reading ta them talking about the Holy Grail and I don't think we have enough time to really read that. But they started talking about the first two spiral standings uh, waves that are coming down, that you're, you're, you and your group are envisioning coming down over the fountain, and the fountain's got the whatever your intent is for this, this celebration. And so you've got the, the two coming down. Well, the two coming down is similar to that, pole, the copper pole and the crystal that's on, on the top of it, right? But they talk about it as a sword. And that dang looks like a sword to me with a handle being the crystal. It's, wow. Yeah. Okay. Then they talk about the two coming up from the ground as being the cup. Well, dang, exactly. if I look at this thing, that looks like a cup shape to me. It, 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 you know, it causes me to think about a cup. So without him, I mean, 10 years before, he has built virtually this device, but now he's got Shungite, and he's integrated Shungite. He's rebuilt the whole thing with Shungite um, so that Shungite is powering this incredible device that is outpouring into the ley lines. Um, and it was interesting because Dolly, Dolly was, was assisting in some of the 
finessing of this thing. And she was being guided to tell him to bring it outside. But he was being told, no, keep it inside. And I agreed with him. No, they want this inside because um, you need this very, very much contained and in a stable environment because you want mm. that signal so perfect. And he's probably got a vortex in it in his home. Wherever he's put it, he will have a vortex <laughs> because he's making yeah. a you know the holy grail vortex. But the difference here is that this thing is always emitting. It's, it maintains the vortex, and it continually emits the love frequency into the into the ley lines. Yeah, and this is possibly you know one of the most powerful things that we've ever brought forward on this show, in my opinion. As I'm listening to you, Nancy, when we're uniting, you know, the power of shungite and the shungite grid, uh, which is linked to the quantum field, and the power of the holy grail vortex protocol, which you know it is the sword and the grail on the level of frequency and vibration and intention in the quantum reality that's the basis of of all that is folks and that's the basis of our sovereign power and how we can you know the, the 3d that Catherine austin fitz brought forward the reality of the economics the reality of the crypto slavery system they're going to try to bring online the flip side of of our hope and our sovereignty and the ability to replicate this simple and powerful prayer, and I've I've put the uh, the YouTube link to a, a short video by Mary Hardy's group on how you can do the Holy Grail Vortex prayer, and and this sacred um, implementation yourself. The, combined with Shungite and the power of the Shungite field, if enough of us are doing this and we're breaking through on the level of frequency and vibration, the control grid, believe me, they know the power of the ley lines, the, you know, the dark faction. They use it. They know it. It's a, it's a frequency war. It's a ley lines war. This is where the, the reason those black helicopters show up and buzz them is because they are breaking through the essential lines of control on the planet, which are the grids of Gaia, the, you know, the, the bloodstream of Mother Earth. This is where the real battle's going on. And yeah, we need to use all the 3D tools. We need to use, you know, like Cal Washington came on and, and gave us, you know, the legal means that's, that are being used to fight 5G and, and, you know, smart meters and all the rest of it. And this is where the, the, the real lever of change on the level of consciousness, frequency and vibration and intention lies. I am so psyched by this. I can hardly tell you. And I would love to have Gail Mack, um, on the show, I'm going to reach out to her again and, and see if she'll join us. Well, just one more thing, because we are running out of time. But Matthew Ward, who died as a young man, but has been talking to his mom for, for decades now, and she puts up the messages for Matthew, he made a very interesting point. And he said that the 3D concept of free will, okay, is absolutely paramount in the universe. However... In the case of what we're seeing now, Gaia, Gaia's free will is what they are listening to, not the individual human players. And it was Gaia that said, you're not going to do this to my people. So Thank you, I, Mama. Yeah, you know. But, uh, yeah, I found that to be just um, very, 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 it really resonated with me that this is the truth, is that she yelled for help. And, exactly. So. And because enough of us, you know, enough of us 
are starting to wake up, I think, that, that make it possible for that help to come in and be implemented, you know? That's exactly it. Is yeah. It, and, and, you know, they were, they were, they, they, every time they tried to do something, accelerate it and do it faster and faster, more and more people are waking up. So, yeah. It is, so you know, it's, 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 it's dark, but hey, we know it. You know, the thing of it is, is that now we can talk about this stuff because it's being revealed. The great reveal is what's happening. And, exactly. You know, so, say good night to yeah. or good day to everybody. <laughs> All right. So, um, thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. Radio 5G is a joint project of Cosmic Reality Radio and uh, the Sacred Academy of Global Evolution. And we'll see you next time. God bless us, every single one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. May it be. Oh, let it be.